You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Surf Stories, the podcast presented by the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm your host, John Brooks, and with me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. Excited to be here. All right, yeah. I'm a little drunk right now. <laughs> That's all right. That's we all had, right. Uh, what, a Bacardi and Coke, and what did you start I off crown, with? I had a Crown and Coke. I think my Bacardi had three quarters Bacardi and one quarter yeah, Coke. Yeah, you had four cocktails in one glass. That was, I just uh, had a normal cocktail. Phenomenal. I mean, Peter was probably excited that I... You know, I I doubt he was excited, but at least I was engaged. Did I sound engaged? Yeah, you sounded <laughs> calm down. Loud I, and engaged. I was loud and engaged. <laughs> we totally screwed up the audio on this one, so you're gonna hear me redlining the entire podcast. <laughs> and uh, I had to pull back on every time I talked. So uh, hopefully it's it's I mean, all good, man. It's, it's palatable. Just, it's just your enthusiasm coming through, and that's what I like to see. Um, we're, we're very enthusiastic to talk to Peter today. Peter is a filmmaker born in South Africa, now based out of London, England, where he runs his production company. He made a fantastic surf film uh, called Let's Be Frank that we showed at the Florida Surf Film Festival. What year was that? 2017? Well, it was 16 or 17. 17, I think it was. But yeah. yeah, the film ended up winning Surfer Pole uh, Movie of the Year as well as an Emmy. So it, you know, it doesn't get better accolades than that. Um, but we're excited to talk to Peter and uh, get some insight onto his hustle uh, with regards to production and creativity and how he got his start. So let's get into it. All right, take it away, Peter.
this was a year project. It actually came about by um, initially we, we pitched a bigger project to Red Bull, actually Carissa's um, life story, because she's got a very unique and interesting life story. And when we're doing financial negotiations for that and going through that process, um, I was hanging out with it. And I was, I was like, look, I'm going to steamroll this. Let's, let's get this going. Because often movie making can be such a process, right? It takes so so long to get things greenlit. So in the process, I was just connecting with her on tour. I was going over to Hawaii, trying to document things about her, her, her year on tour. And at the end of the day, we actually didn't get full funding for the film. So Red Bull turned around to me, and we're still discussing funding, but Red Bull turned around to me and said, um, look, we can give you some money if you if you kind of document in them at the moment, we'll give you some money to make a three, three-minute part series about her on tour this year. And, and so we had really documented some things and she ended up having the most insane year, right? And I'm like, I'm amongst it all and I'm, I'm, I'm actually refusing to, to miss an event. I'm just so caught up in it and enjoying it so much. Um, and then along the way, which was kind of interesting, is especially with this film, and I, I, I developed a friendship with Carissa. And started to get to know the person behind the professional. Yeah. And, and that's what I loved. And I, and I started capturing little moments like that. And I was like, oh, man, it's, it's such an injustice. She's had such an incredible year to do a short little series. So I kind of like just put everything together. And it was going to set out to make like a 25-minute piece and ended up making a 40-minute piece, which kind of, I think if you watch it, it feels like you're watching a 10-minute piece. It flows past pretty quickly. It was just a year hanging out with Carissa really and documented and put down. And I think that was exactly it. Like I was constantly trying to push to just push her a little bit more and get a little bit like just to find out, but it's just so genuine and so real and the love that she puts out. And I think the biggest core lesson that I, I learned, I mean, I'm, I'm think I'm 10, maybe 12 years older than her. No, even more. Um, but the biggest lesson I learned from her is, just to take every day as it comes and, and make every day count and, and, and really try and make yourself a better person every day. Like she's, yeah. strong, like she, 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 she's had an incredible journey and it's not filled with, it's filled with hardship. It's filled with um, happy times and, and incredible feats, but still at her young age, she, mm. she's, she's striving every day to be a better person and, and to make every day count and every moment count. She makes moments count. And like, that was incredible to me because I'm always looking to the future. I'm not like living in the now. And that's, I, I hope what came across in the film is just the, those moments. And that's what the film was. This is a moment in Chris's life. This is not a life story. This is just her 2019 year and, and hanging out with it. And hopefully it gave everybody that same feeling, like, like hanging out with Carissa for a while, which is cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's gotta be tedious, man. I mean, doing what you do, in post-production has to be like a chore. Do you have people helping you or what's going on there? It's tedious if you hate it. Okay. That's, that's, that's the honest thing. Like uh, I would, especially with Carissa's film, I was just so in all of the process and like the whole time hanging out with her, we coming up with ideas. It wasn't, so I always script my films and I hate that idea of just filming stuff and then trying to make the story up at a later stage. So we, the actual process of the making the film 
we didn't actually film a lot. It was a lot of just hanging out with her. And then she would do something, she'd just do something cool. And we would watch the runs later on in the day. And she'd put her thumb up like this. And I saw the shot before she was in a bikini and then she was in a wetsuit. So we're like, hey, it'd be pretty fun if we did this. Yeah. And it kind of, it built into the humor of what she was doing. And then I was observing her talking to Mitch. And the night before, her and I were hanging out and she loves ice cream. And she took us on this mad mission to find ice cream. So it's all those, those little things coming together. And so the post-production process is not really tedious if you know what your story is okay. before yeah. you hit post. It truly isn't. Same with Let's Be Frank. Same with this. It, it wasn't tedious for me. There is a lot of um, animation and I, I work with a, um, within our company. We have a, a, an amazing animator called Byron um, Lenman, and he helped me a lot with the animation elements and the layering elements. And then I kind of, I tend to always edit my projects. I have a team of editors that I work with, but it's part of my directing style. Um, okay. I love to write my stuff and then I, I love to execute it. Even if it's just like the first, um, first draft of the edit and get it polished later. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and I understand what you're saying. It can be tedious. Like maybe don't put this on, but I work with lots of clients in the advertising world and the shortest 30 second ad can be the most tedious thing in the world because you just don't feel the love for it. If you're not passionate about it, you shouldn't be doing it. All right. So let's, um, let's circle back to, uh, uh, the theme of our podcast, which is surf stories and, I don't know if you've got a nugget of gold in your head right now that you want to get out. Uh, I do have, I can talk about my experiences um, in filmmaking. So it's not necessarily surfing, but it's filmmaking and it's, and, and, and um, a bit of our process. And I think one of the biggest things that I wanted to talk about is what people call the hustle. So as aspiring filmmakers and young filmmakers and everything, we talk about the hustle. And, and, and we go through the process and guys in conversation, yeah, you got to hustle, you got to do this. But in reality, what I've kind of realized, it's kind of fake it till you make it. That's the reality. <laughs> it's, you package it in this beautiful hustle, but you don't know what the hell you're doing. And you're, faking, you're faking your way for the process. So I wanted to kind of give you a few nuggets in my previous films um, where I've kind of just blagged it and faked it. And, and, and it kind of, I don't think I've made it yet. But um, it kind of turned out all right. So like the very first thing was um, with my film with Frank, let's be Frank. Um, Frank came over to, to London and I was bigging up how we could make this amazing story with him. And I was trying to get him on my side. And that's the biggest process with filmmaking is making sure the talent and the protagonist is your boy and you have a good connection with them. Um, yeah, so I actually met um, at a at a at a bar the one night and we were both totally intoxicated <laughs> <laughs> and um i was just intrigued as this how this um i kept on seeing on social media and i was just intrigued as to how he's traveling around the world and stuff on the south african rant i was saying so i was really intoxicated really drunk and i said to him i was like mate there's only one way you there's only two ways you've either got really rich parents and you've been able to kind of travel the world or you've nailed some kind of like secret undercover deal on the side. And he's like, nah, mate, like what I actually do is I travel the world and I work at different destinations. I cut Christmas trees down and then I go surf Mavericks and I do this. And I was, I was like, that's incredible. Like 
that, that's the honest truth. And then when I was in my drunk state, I said, we should make a film about you and call it Let's Be Frank. Uh, and, then, and then the problem was the next day I woke up and you know when you got that anxiety, like you've said <laughs> too much. So I phoned him up and I said, hey, we should do like a short film. And that ended up being like a 40 minute film. So anyway, so I, I had him in, I had him in London and I bigged up and I blagged my way getting him to London, which I'd spoken so much shit about the movie we were going to make. And I hadn't filmed the thing. And there's a, it's the middle of winter in London. Um, and there's this pond, this honestly a duck pond up the road from me. And I was like, you know what? will make the most epic shot is if you get in the duck pond and you swim towards me at the right light and the right angle, it could look epic and I'll shoot it in super slow motion. And it'll be like, man, we can use this as a teaser shot. And I didn't have a script at this stage and then anything. It was all bullshit. And true as God, he got into the water, duck shit everywhere, standing in the middle of this pond. I'm trying to communicate to him to swim. And he's swimming towards me. We must have done that about 10 times and we never used a single shot. And I think the whole process of making the film, he's like, Peter, you ever going to use that shot? I was like, ah, oh, dude, sorry. I promise you. And then we went off to Ireland um, and Glendoran. Such a great town. Like you, you rock up there and you're not sure what, where, what you're getting yourself into. Um, and then you meet all the people and the whole process is just incredible. And, and, and again, like, you know, the boys, they go, they, what's, what's the break there? They surf Malikbar. But then there's some outer reefs. To this point, I've never shot big wave surfing at this stage, right? No kidding. On land, I've never been on a boat. I've never shot anything. I've got Andy Mackay, who's in the film, the guy with the long hair. Oh, yeah. He's also a very novice filmmaker. Doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's acting and he's kind of filming as well. And I think I had another filmer. And so... The guys are all on their jet skis. They say, look, we're going to go out there. Now I need to get a boat so I can go filming. And I can't find a boat anywhere. And eventually through one way or another, we, we managed to land a boat. And the boat pitches up and it's a single engine duck that can maybe hold, like should hold two people. We pile like, like eight people into this, into this boat. Oh, no. No rain cover gear, nothing. Just with our cameras and we go, right? Now, our, our, our um, captain of the boat is, um, doesn't speak a word of English. I don't know if he's ever, because you know, it's a skill to navigate big swell and to get in the right yeah. and to not get pulled into the channel all the time and, and to lose yourselves. Um, secret reef outside okay. of Malibmore. Can't okay. see land, can't see land. Storm overhead, rain, crazy. Um, and the captain is smoking continuously with two open cans of fuel in front of him <laughs> on a single engine yeah. going out. And I'm just, only when we're out there, I'm going, if this engine goes, we're dead. There's nothing. And so the guy gets us out there and he's constantly out of position, but constantly getting sucked into the channel. Oh. And it's just absolute nightmare. Then the heavens open up. And it just starts thundering and lightning, lighting. We don't have any rain gear. And basically, we destroyed three cameras. Didn't get, oh. a, single, didn't oh. get a single shot and destroyed three cameras. They, they weren't, um, we had an Aria Mira. We had a Sony, I think it was a FH1 at the time. No, not S. It was a Sony F7 at the time or 700. 
and a Canon uh, stills camera. All kaput. Tony, wow. we're just rookies. We just didn't know. We're like jumping on the opportunity, all shot, but we learned. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing from this. And I think this is what translates into Carissa's film and, 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 and actually just into my biggest kind of life lesson is you, you, you take those learnings. If you do that mistake again, you're an idiot. But yeah, of course. Go, yeah. And you adapt them. And, and I think the third story I have was um, off Dungeons in that same film. Um, that film was just a, a calamity. It was a learning. It was a learning process and it kind of came together. That's the beauty of it. Um, but so I'd never filmed underwater. And I got this German dude that I needed to make me a, a housing. Not with the intention of filming the whole film because I wanted to work with other um, underwater like Eric Knutson in, 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 in um, Hawaii. Another lesson, surround yourself with people who know a shitload more than you. Um, so uh, Eric, like Eric Knutson, um, Jason Hearn in the UK, these are skilled watermen. Um, but I think I had Jason lined up to shoot the dungeon sequence. And you know, Seal Islands off dungeons. So Dungeons is in Cape Town, South Africa. It's off Heart Bay. Um, and you go around this, I think this mountain is called the Pinnacle. And it's probably like a kilometer out at sea. Um, it's some of the sharkiest water. Um, and there's a seal colony right next door. Like there are thousands of seals in this space. And it is, it is one of the premier big wave spots um, in South Africa. And Red Bull did the big wave tour there, I think, many years ago. So, and, and Cape Town surfers are different surfers by definition. They love cold water, sketchy conditions, kelp everywhere, seals and sharks. I just don't get it. Um, and that was part of Frank's story. So Frank's story, and it's true, and it's in the film, is that he wanted to go and surf the, the dungeons, but no one would let him on the boats. So he had to climb over the pinnacle, the mountain, go all the way down to uh, the kelp beds at the bottom and then do the kilometer paddle out through the seal colony that they, they didn't want um, people that they didn't know out there because they didn't want to risk their lives. So Frank and his mates, I think actually Frank, Frank was on, it's in the film, Frank was on the phone to his dad and his dad said, you know what you need to do? So he did that and he paddled out. And he went. <laughs> I think he, I think he got smashed, um, to be honest, but he, he built a, a level of respect with those big wave crew. And now he's one of the premier in that, in that big wave crew. So we needed to recreate this. So we needed to go down to Seal Island and we wanted to film him paddling out. So the shot that I had in my mind was, um, and again, it's in the film, is like underwater shot. Um, Frank jumps into the water and there's just seals everywhere. And then we pull up a drone shot and show the seal colony and the wave out the back. Yeah. So I, had it, I had it all lined up. I had my DP going to do it, underwater DP, everything. The night before, my DP phones me and he says, I can't do it and I can't shoot it. Oh. So, oh. And I am like, I'm the kind of guy like, you know, when you're paddling out and there's, like, there's something sketchy in the water, yeah. I'm back on shore straight away. And so... But I'd really spent so much of our budget getting the safety crew out there. And everyone lined up. The weather was perfect. And I had this fucking water housing that I had to use. So I was the option. I, was the, I had a water housing for a camera. I was the solution. And, and, and so we take, we, 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 um, 
get on the, we actually get on the boat, we go out on the boat and the uh, skipper um, lands us in the middle of, I'm not lying, a thousand seals. The, the, the funniest thing that happened was, so we get in the water and there's just seals everywhere and it is super sketchy. And, but eventually you get into it and you're swimming and you don't think about sharks and you get into amazing sharks. But now I've never used that water housing, this water housing on this camera before. So you obviously have your fogging issues, first of all, when you're putting the water yeah. fog up. But this German dude who made it, made it with no neutral buoyancy. I couldn't get under the water. And as much as I tried, and I try and get on top of the freaking housing and push it down, I couldn't get it on. So the final shot of me trying to film stuff is Andy, who's in the film, literally standing on my shoulders. Just <laughs> <laughs> thousand seals swimming past us, and that's how we did it, and that's how we got the shots. And they turned out to be awesome shots in the film. And you know what's epic about that as well is like I worked with an incredible DP, um, uh, Matthew Day, who's actually worked with Wes Anderson, and he's he brought a lot of love to that film, but he had never shot surfing in his life. Mm. Um, and his his um, assistant or second camera had also never shot surfing, and they are they true Englishmen who do studio shoots in London. They wow. don't understand the concept of a dawny of getting up at four in the morning. I, I, th and that was the funniest thing. My producer <laughs> to tear her hair out because it was the hardest thing to rock, to wake these guys up in the morning and get them on set. Whereas <laughs> I, said, so, I think from a surfing background, you, you used to, so it was, just, it was, man, it was just a, it was brilliant. It was just every, every angle that came together and we all became such great friends through that process as well. And they loved it. Like they would, they would look at surfing in another way, not like your traditional kind of surf videographer or, or DP. They would see it from a more skilled perspective well, not more skilled, that's the wrong word, but just from a different kind of angle. Yeah. And it was cool. And it brought such a different kind of feeling to the film, I think. I think that that's one of the things that really comes through in your, in, in Let's Be Frank, and it also comes through in Riss, and, and even in the Jack O'Neill piece, is that like you are making surf films that don't look like any other surf film. And it's, it's awesome. It's, you know, I, I, when the first time I saw Let's Be Frank, I was like, where did this guy get the idea for this? Like, are you kidding me? Like, this looks like a it, it reminded me of a Hollywood film about surfing that was actually done correctly. Where'd you grow up? And where? how did you even get into this whole movie-making business? Um, so you fake it so you make it. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in South Africa, so I'm originally from South Africa. And um, I actually studied advertising and got involved in marketing and I worked for like 10 years in advertising. Um, uh, not on the creative side, on the, on the suit side actually. And realized like that I absolutely hated what I did. And I, I did really, look, I take my hats off to people who are involved in advertising and, and, and do it on a really high end because it's amazing. But I just hated it. I, I hated the bullshit behind it. I didn't like the process of, of, not having a finished tangible thing. And mm. I always, like, I always like, I love the creative process, but I wasn't caught in, I wasn't part of that process. And it's typical in advertising is um, the suits always think they know more than the creatives. And it creates such like a um, animosity between the two. And I was, I was also, I was like, I was trying to be more creative. And then eventually uh, my brother-in-law bought me a old 5D Canon. You know, it was the first camera that 
from Canon, a stills camera that could do a bit of video as well. Yeah. I think, yeah, 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 it was. Um, a long story short, I was just getting excited about taking stills. And I reached out to Pierre Tosti, and I love surfing. Mm. Uh, and, and I reached out to Pierre Tosti, who was running the ASP at the time. He was doing, he was the photographer who was, who was hitting up the, the photography crew at the ASP. And I kind of just reached out to him out of the blue one day and I said, hey, um, my name is Peter. I'm from Durban as well. I'm living in London. I know the tour comes to Europe. I would love to come and shoot with you guys on tour. And his first response was, dude, I don't even know you. Well, like, send me some photos, whatever. And like, as I sent him a whole bunch of really shitty photos, like photos of pigeons around London. And <laughs> the guy must have thought I was the biggest kook in the world. And actually, I think he did because I've spoken to him since. I, I shot parts of Russ on my iPhone, just so you know. Wow. You know, it's not about the camera. It's about the story behind it. Yeah, so basically for a year, I harassed Peter Tosti. Every like week, I would mail him new photos and my pigeons were now in flight. Slow motion buses. And then, and so eventually, I, honestly, a year and a half later, I get a call from Peter Tosti and he's like, listen, Pete, if you really want to come, we're going to be in Mondaka. One of my guys is falling sick. You can come and take photos, but I'm not going to pay you a damn thing. And you're going to have to pay for your own accommodation. So I went in and spoke to my boss that day. I was like, so listen, I need to go away for like a week. And she's like, you're not going away for a week. We're managing an account. So I quit my job the next day. I was on the plane to, I think, Bilbao in order to get to Mendoza. And man, it was the longest waiting period ever. Yeah, you're, so you're staying in a little... You know, shithole in Mandaka? Not even a shithole in the campsite there because I couldn't afford a damn thing there. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was, so I rock up and Pierre Tosti wasn't there. There was another lady who, who since became my great friend, but at the time she didn't even want to know I was there. Um, <laughs> and she was like, oh, Pierre's put the, another aspiring photographer onto me. Why do I have to deal with this shit? I'll just take the photos. So all they gave me was a pass. And I had a tent and I had no love from anyone. I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. And um, so all I did was I just, every day I went and you, you know surfing and you know how, I think when you're on the tour, like everyone's very respectful of everyone's space. Right. So like, especially um, when at events, like the photographers stay out of the, the pros faces, they, they shoot from afar and everything like that. And I knew nothing of the correct etiquette. So I was straight in. I was suddenly, these are all my heroes. I, that's Kelly Slater. And then I was, I was like up close and personal with these guys. And I think it was captured in the frame. And so one day I took my card and I dropped it on uh, Karen's desk. And I was like, man, just, just have a look. At least have a look at some of my photos. And so the next day she came to me and she said, hey, Peter, can you do the same thing again tomorrow? And, and I did. And it just kind of built up more and more photos. Um, and I still got photos from that from that time. And Bobby Martinez ended up winning the event. And yeah. I got great, great photos of Bobby. I got photos of Andy Irons. He was lying on one of the Mandaka benches. He's sleeping. And like an wow. idiot that I am, I, I walked in and I tapped him on the shoulder. And I said, hey, man, do you mind if I can get a photo of you? And, and he was like so obliging and so lovely. And he like picked up his hat and looked at me. And I took a photo and then that was it. So it was just getting these intimate moments. Um, and, and, and so after the Mandaka, I got Kelly winning his eighth world title. I went back to South Africa after that. 
and um, I had this new idea of becoming a photographer. And that's yeah. what I'd done. So I went to all the brands in Durban and South Africa and I was like, I just blagged my way. I was like, hey guys, I've shot on the ASP. I'm like, I got a guy called Warwick from South Africa to come out and hang with me. He's good friends with Jordy Smith as well. Um, and I did a little short film about his 10 rules to travel. And um, that was the first thing I did. I just, I made a little bit of money. So I, got, I flew him over. We did that. And then the breaking point was doing that film because Red Bull, like a beautiful human, Evan Fontaine from Red Bull noticed that. And he gave me my break into film to do the ripple effect. I've learned, I've learned film through the people that I work with. Surround yourself with people who know more. Matthew Day has taught me a huge amount. Um, everyone I surround myself with has, um, they've taught me a, a lot about um, that, that process. And you learn by error. Like the, yeah. first, time, the first time I ran a big set um, in, for a commercial in South Africa, I mean, in London, I forgot to buy the guy's lunch. And that's a, that's a crucial error. They will hate yeah. you for life. Like big burly gaffers and crew, you don't buy them lunch. Like it's all about catering. It lives yeah. in the catering. Um, so yeah, every everything has been trial by error for sure. Trial by fire. So you so after after Mandaka, you're back down to Durban and you, you get your break there. And then at what point did you go back to London? Um, I was two years in South Africa. Um, and then I was just bored of it. Like, I love the city. I love London. There's so much opportunity over here. And I think I kicked, up, I kicked back two years later. Um, and I, I went actually back into advertising to pay the bills. But um, I was shooting on the side. Um, okay. And then eventually just um, I started shooting commercials and um, taking stills for all the agencies. Because I'd, I'd worked with so many agencies. I knew so many people. And all the people who were juniors with me were now seniors in agencies. So they're giving me opportunities to work. And um, yeah, so it just took off there. And I've been running a production company in London now for, this is our 10th year. On director level or creative level, if you're a, you, you become an expert in the field, if that makes any sense. I find like in advertising, everyone's, it's very opinionated. Like there's loads of opinions going back. Like what is hot and what is cold? Who knows? Like, it depends on who's got the biggest boot in the room who can make the decision, right? But when you come in as a production entity, you're coming in and you have the vision. Film is always about, always about vision. It's about storytelling. It's about being able to visualize what is there. And if you can do that and translate that to people, people won't argue your point. They'll listen to you. And then the hustle and the bullshit is actually producing what you said you could make. And if you can do that, then you earn respect. And, and I just, I really love that tangible thing. It's like, this is what I've made. I made this film. You either love it or you hate it. And I didn't make it necessarily for you. I made it for me because creatively, I want to kind of get it out to the world. Yeah. That's what films are. You have these feelings and you just need to let them go. And that's what Carissa's film was as well. It's just, I had this good feeling. I wanted to spread a little bit of joy. I wanted to put something out there that my nieces could watch. Can I, can I just add one last thing? Um, one of the greatest parts of telling films is, is not coronavirus. It's not sitting digitally and putting it out to the world. It's actually going to festivals and traveling the world and seeing people respond to your work. And coming to your guys' festival, you are amazing curators of film festivals. And I was blown away. First of all, I met Gabrielle there 
who's the most legend um, director, but just the way you guys operated and man, I saw a spaceship take off that day. Man, it was crazy. The sky was lighting up. It was, you guys, your, your festival was so unique and so awesome. And um, yeah, Thanks, I'm man. really proud of what you guys do. So keep it up, man. And hopefully we can connect to one of your festivals one day. pleasure it was to talk to peter today um i'm always intrigued by these filmmakers that put out these amazing beautifully finished products and then you find out later they have no formal training whatsoever that they literally just taught themselves uh how to do what they're doing and it makes me feel like uh, a real slacker if i'm being honest yeah i hear you i, I would be more impressed I don't know if I would be more impressed, but I would be like as impressed if he went to film school. Absolutely. Like I would expect that product out of a film school student. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it blows me away what some of these people do on their own, starting from basically absolute zero. Yeah. Well, hopefully it, it's an inspiration to me. Hopefully it's an, an inspiration to our listeners that, hey, man, if you if you have a passion and you put your mind to it, you set out to do it, you can absolutely achieve it. And uh so yeah, we're uh, we're thankful that Peter uh, came on and gave us a little insight into his world and uh, how he goes about doing what he does. And uh, just want to say quick thanks to our sponsors, uh, Monster Energy, the presenting sponsor of the film festival, along with uh, Rourke Apparel, Globe Footwear, uh, Advent Health, um, Florida Virtual School. Florida maybe. Virtual School. Yeah, if you want your kid to be a pro surfer, you better put him in Florida Virtual School. That's uh, that seems to be the way to get there. Um, but yeah, Red Dog Surf Shop. There's a list on our website that has all list. of these people that support this festival of ours. Absolutely. Not necessarily the podcast and my drunk talk, basically on yeah. a microphone, but like they are the reason that festival happens because it doesn't happen with just ticket prices unfortunately we actually need their support to pay for the facility rental to do all the things that the nice things that we want to do for the people that come and enjoy the experience and hopefully one day we can do it again absolutely so go to our website check out our list of sponsors and support those folks if you can firewire um, surfboards yep firewire surfboards i mean yeah there's there's a long list on there and we're very appreciative to those folks so uh, coming down the pipe, we've got uh, episode two with Chad Campbell. Yeah, this guy has uh, a lot of stories, needless to say. The last time he was on, he very graciously shared his experience making the movie Fifth Symphony Document. And now we get to hear about his, you know, uh, I don't know if you could call it work, but I guess it's work. You, you know, you, you've worked at Kanduie Villas, but he's a boatman in Tavarua. What is this, you know, uh, what is that all about? It is, it is not work. It is their exploits. Yeah, exactly. Adventures. That, that, I think those, those are better ways to describe them. Um, they're, no, actually, they're incredibly hard work. But it, like Peter said in the podcast, dude, if you love what you do, it's, uh, it's not that hard. Um, yeah. So anyways, we got that coming down the pipe to look forward to. So thanks again for joining us for today's episode. And we'll talk to you soon.